Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Don't punt to Geo. It'll get you fired by your insecure fan base and athletic director despite a 5-1 and record against your art travel. This is episode 2 of the football show on the Tar Heel blog podcast hosted on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chad Floyd, and I'm joined by my colleague and my buddy, Jake Lawrence. Jake's with me tonight because he wrote a piece reviewing Mac Brown's first 100 days back in Chapel Hill. He's the guy who speculated openly among us that Brown would come back back in November and was the most optimistic that it would work when it happened. And so far, the returns are pretty much right off of our collective template for how it would work. Jake, with that introduction, no pleasure. How are you, my friend? Doing great, man. Let's do this. Talk about Mac Brown and the success that is Carolina football. Yeah, and I mean, success is uh, a little bit, a little bit of fool's gold here from uh, December to February, unless you're playing, you know, in the national championship game, which we're not quite there yet. But, um, you know, basically between our conversations on Slack and articles that uh, you and I have both written at tarhillblog.com, we kind of establish a few factors that would make this thing work. Um, and that included rebuilding relationships in state, hiring a dynamic recruiting staff, hiring a, a dynamic coaching staff. And um, it turns out he had a little bit more on his mind that we didn't expect, which you uh, got into your article a little bit. So I'm going to give you the floor. I mean, what, what's been your takeaway from the first 100 days of uh, the Mac 2.0 experience here? Uh, I think the biggest takeaway is – he has put his fingers in everything within the program and he's done it in a very, very quick and deliberate fashion. Um, and you know, everything that, that you mentioned, the coaching staff and the rebuilding relationships and all of that, um, <clears throat> that's all part of it. But there was a lot within the program that had to be fixed. I don't, I won't say rebuilt because I think that there's a lot that was, that was still there, but it had to be recalibrated. Um, and he has done everything from reach out to organizations in the school. He's reached out to the high school coaches in the state. He's reached out to high school coaches outside of the state. He's brought back former players that either played for him or didn't play for him. Uh, he has, you know, he's won every press conference he's been a part of. He's won on the recruiting trail uh, in his very limited time. I mean, you name it. And he's done everything except to win a football game, which he hasn't been allowed to do yet. So, um I just think the, the the sheer audacity of which he has attacked this has been really, really surprising uh, and has really given some good gains early in his tenure. Yeah, and, let, and let's kind of talk about the synergy that he's built because you touched on it in uh, your article, and I thought it was a really good point, where, I mean, he's really kind of starting from the ground up in a grassroots operation uh, with the school. You know, he had the cheerleaders in the band at the first spring practice last Sunday. Um, he's seen everywhere, you know, be it classes or with the chancellor and with the athletic director. 
I mean, he is just making himself a presence. Uh, his spring introductory press conference went on for 40 minutes, which the previous regime, you might have gotten 40 minutes a year from. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, just starting with that, I mean, you know, it, it just demonstrates the CEO plan that he's really taking on, you know, to the point where he did prove to be a little bit more hands-off during the first practice. And it is just kind of what we thought it would take if he was going to come in and do this thing. And it's just showing his ability to run a big-time program. Yeah, I think that's really the the thing. And, and I have my own qualms with the CEO moniker. That's probably more semantics than anything. We've talked about that before off off the podcast. But what he has done is he has given a direction and a vision to the program that was lacking. And what I mean is he's done that off the field uh, as well as on the field. So he, we know that he wants to run the air raid. We know that he wants to run uh, a, a newer kind of scheme with Jay Bateman. But it's all the off-field stuff, and, that, and that's how you build a program. And you and you start, as you sit at ground zero at the school. And a football team belongs to the students and the faculty. I mean, it's part of the university. It's part of the campus. And it needs to be woven into the fabric of the university. It's not separate. It's not a Saturday entertainment sideshow. They've got to be in sync with the rest of the campus, especially on a campus like North Carolina that has not always been the most, uh, I'll say, excited for a football program just by the nature of, uh, of the culture of the school. And, you know, that's why it's a basketball school and insert whatever other reason you want there. Uh, but. You know, to, to have him go and speak to classes or be asked to go provide leadership insight into classes, uh, to ask him to ask the interim chancellor to come speak to the team. You know, there's not a more important or more, uh, I'll say powerful person on campus. I hate to use that word and it's probably not correct, completely correct, but you get where I'm going with that. Um, well, the, well, the it, last, it, uh, go ahead. I, I was going to say the last CEO type coach got, uh, fired by a chancellor. Um, Unexpectedly, yeah. <laughs> so fair enough, <laughs> fair enough. So, uh, uh, you know, he has he has Kevin. Uh, I'm going to say his name wrong, but Gus Guskvitz or Guskovich, however you say I think his it's last Gustaw- name, Guskovich. Guskovich, thank you. Um, you know, he like you said, he brings the cheerleaders and the band to practice. He just has integrated himself and the team across the entire campus, and that was missing. I mean, and I've I've written about it, but. Larry Fedora was on on record as saying he didn't even know there was an arboretum on campus because he had never been to that part of campus. And that is basically part of the school tour that you give to every incoming student or prospective student. So just a very different mindset of what role the football team should have within the university. Uh, And then everything expands from there. Yeah, and that was why I kind of wanted to start with that point because really, I mean, you've the the first step is building a culture that embraces football as opposed to, you know, like you said, making it an activity that you can go, you know, drink before, go watch for an hour and a half and then go drink after. Um, you know, they are trying to incorporate it into, well, I mean, you already said it, just into the student body and um, into the Chapel Hill community. And that's huge. And I mean, a few other things he has done on that realm. I mean, one of the bigger ones you mentioned is bringing a lot of former players, not only from his era, but from all, but from all eras back. I've seen Ryan Switzer on campus. I've seen TJ Logan. Um, but then going back, you have Brian Simmons, who is an all American and Dre Black can vouch for that. Um, you have Bucky Brooks, who's one of the league guys on the NFL network. So, I mean, he's bringing back guys 
that people recognize. And that just lends to even more credibility as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, we all know that Carolina has this family culture about it, and that's one of its calling cards. And it's something that drives other universities absolutely bonkers. But it's a very real thing. The problem is football has never really been fully invested in that for a number of reasons. Um, I mean, they've had five coaches since Matt Brown left, uh, including Everett Withers uh, in 2011. So uh, that's a lot of different uh, visions. That's a lot of different personalities. That's a lot of different um, backgrounds. backgrounds. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And so it's hard to get continuity and and to keep asking former players to come back, especially when those coaches have only been there for five to seven years, you know, Butch was less. I think Fedora was the longest at seven. Um, I forget how long Bunting was there, but it was in that realm anyway. Six years. Yeah, so Ugh. you can't build continuity. Um, Mac is the only one who's had success in the last 30 years that can really do that. You know, Don McCauley came back to the spring practice. Uh, he brought back his players. He brought back people from the 80s. I mean, in the, in the last 30 days alone, he has brought back former players to – to the football program spanning 50 years worth of Carolina football. Um, you know, and this isn't going to be, this isn't going to be rebuilt in 30 days, but it, it shows where he wants to take the program and having that vision and seeing what is, is possible is what gives so many fans hope and excitement. Um, you know, we all want to live in glory days and nostalgia. So it's great to see Brian Simmons. It's great to have Dre Bly on staff and all that. Uh, but it's good to see him embrace even Larry Fedora's former players because that can be a rocky transition. Um, when, when a coach is fired and then we know Ryan Switzer had some, had some strong words when, when Fedora was fired and, uh, didn't necessarily agree with it. So to see him to come back to campus so soon after and be embraced, those things matter. Uh, and those things get out within the fan base and within former players. I mean, Willie Parker is back on campus and there was a long time when he wouldn't even say North Carolina's name on television when he was announcing himself in the starting lineup for the Steelers. That's a Super Bowl winning running back. Um, and he's starting to bring himself back into the fold. So, and that happened a little bit before Mac, but it just shows that everyone is welcome. Uh, and that is a, that is a good thing to see going forward. Yeah. And what it does is you, um, I mean, you know, UNC's NFL luminaries, I mean, they're aging out of the league. Julius Peppers just retired. And you have guys, you have Mitchell Trubisky, who was the number two overall pick in the previous draft. Uh, you had Nazir Jones, who was just back on campus this past weekend, who's establishing himself with the Seahawks. You really need guys across coaching staffs. And in modern college football, a lot of coaching staffs don't last more than five to seven years. But to have them kind of come back under the umbrella of UNC football, not Larry Fedora's UNC football or John Bunning's UNC football, it makes a whole heck of a lot of difference because you have UNC positively being spoken about uh, by alums of the program, not saying, yeah, well, we're a little small time. You should definitely go to Auburn if you have the chance or. No, 100%. And, and no, I agree with all of that. And and the thing here too, is that we have to remember that very few people, very few players had bad things to say about their coaches. So Bunting's players love Bunting. Butch's players love Butch. Fedora's players are going, are going to be affectionate towards Fedora. So no one ever really had any animosity towards different eras. No one just ever really went out of their way to make that a focal point. It was something that was nice. You would do it every now and then. The athletic department may hold something, but it wasn't a purpose of, of the, of the coaching staff. That's where it's different here with Mac, where he's going to make it a purpose to bring everyone from former eras in. 
It's not just a matter of, hey, we're cool with you. You're cool. We're nice. Nice to see you. He's going to go out of his way to wrap his arms around him. And that's the difference. Um, and I think that that is what should have people excited. Well, I do know for a fact right out of the horse's mouth that former players were asked to buy tickets uh, during the previous regime to football games. Yeah, I had heard that. And I will say that's not just a North Carolina thing. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think sometimes there are department departmental decisions that are made outside of the football program. But I, what I will say is that someone like Mac Brown can usually break a lot of those barriers down if they exist. Um, and so that is another feather in his cap to help with that obstacle if that was, in fact, a football program obstacle. Well, and from just a financial obstacle, I mean, if you're getting 38,000 people into the seats, um, giving away free tickets and recovering revenue on concessions is not a bad business model. Um, call it no, the Oakland model if you want to. But, uh, and I, and well, and I'll say too, real quick, let's take a quick shot at NC State. I mean, I, I've heard the same things that they do the same things with their, with their former players, unless you were of a certain caliber. So, um, you know, Carolina is not the only one. State does the same thing. And hopefully we can get that rectified, um, or we will see that rectified, uh, within the program. I think we will. I think we will. And, um, you know, just kind of expanding outwards here, um, outside of the confines of Chapel Hill, Matt Brown and staff have been on every campus in the state of North Carolina. Um, I know we have discussed it at length, but when Matt Brown took over, we had one of the top 50 recruits in the state of North Carolina for the 2019 class. Um, ended up finishing with six, including five of the top 15. That paid immediate dividends, and his philosophy is to win the state, build a functioning and good program, which you can do inside the state of North Carolina and then go outside of the state for studs. Um, you see that he got the four-star linebacker, Ethan West from Virginia. He got a four-star receiver, Josh Downs from Georgia. So, I mean, he is the, – the amazing thing to me is that as he's rebuilding all of these relationships, he is doing exactly what he said he was going to do. Yeah, I mean, he didn't just go and look for better players than what he – inherited uh within the within the within the recruiting cycle uh he made a point to focus on north carolina kids he made a po point more importantly to focus on north carolina coaches and then he's also said he's also done what he said he was going to do he'll go out of state for for top tier talent four star receiver four star linebacker so he's not immune to that he's not going to be he's not going to have such tunnel vision to where he's only going to recruit north carolina but we and we've talked about this offline as well North Carolina is a very unique state in that it doesn't, it's not flooded with top tier talent, but there's enough top tier talent to where you can win on the national level with it if you can keep those players in state. But the problem is you've got to cultivate those relationships with those coaches year round every single year because you can't just go to them when you need something. It's not like a school like, it's not like a state like Florida or like Texas where there's so much talent that you can have your pick of the litter. You have to really, you have to build those relationships year in and year out. And Mac understands that. Um, and when you have coaches saying that they've heard more from this coaching staff in the first couple of weeks than they had heard in the previous couple of years, then that just goes to show how much work was really being done by the prior staff and how much work is currently being done by the new staff. And it shows the difference in priorities and that it doesn't take a lot. It just takes some attention and some sincerity 
to get into the schools and to get the approval of those coaches and you, and you get that conversation started. And we're seeing the effects of that not just from the 2019 signings, but also the amount of top talent from the state that is coming in onto campus every single week, it seems like. Um, I think they had 60-plus juniors on campus two weeks ago. They are, they're going to have another big junior day for the Duke game this weekend. Uh, and we're talking five-star, four-star, uh, top five kids in the state. Uh, and that's because they have made an effort to re-engage and rebuild the coaching relationships, not just evaluate certain talent. And what that does too, you know, it, it might not pay immediate dividends because, you know, a guy like Desmond Evans, for example, who is on campus on Sunday, you know, he, he's been hearing from Alabama and LSU and Clemson for as long as he's been hearing from North Carolina. But what it does is it establishes North Carolina for the next Desmond Evans in the 2021, 2022 class. You already have a little bit of a foot in the door to where you have the credibility to go in and say, Hey, I'm Mac Brown. I coach at UNC. Come check this out. Let's, let's build something in state. And 100, yeah, 100%. Mac understands that recruiting is not a 365 day window. It is a 24 seven, 365 year in, year out, five-year, 10-year window. And you are always building for one, two, three, four years down the road. And it didn't feel like the former staff really took that approach um, when it when it came to cultivating the adults in the room, not just the players. And it's definitely important to appeal to the players. Um, I, I'm, I'm not really sure, you know, how much you've dove into it, into this, but um, apparently the practice was largely the same except for one big aspect where they were not playing music throughout the whole thing. Um, what I've enjoyed hearing about the staff is their attention to detail. And, you know, Jay Bateman over, you know, looking over Dre Bly's shoulder as he had his first collegiate practice. And, you know, Phil Longo going through exactly what he wants to do and justifying why he wants to do it on a play action fake where you're going to then, you know, roll out to the left and hit a guy in the flats. I mean, it's, it just seems like there's going to be a lot more focus on detail. And I'm excited more than anything else to just see if that manifests itself in really just discipline on the field. And when, when you have a guy from army doing strength and conditioning and players are being quoted saying, yeah, this is completely different. We stretch. We don't just power lift. We lift the right way. And we focus on flexibility. And he shows us, you know, why, what we're doing wrong, why it's important that we do it right and fixes it. That attention to detail is going to pay dividends on Saturdays. It will. And I think that, uh, the, the only thing I'll say is to temper some of that is that, look, it's a whole new staff. And it's the first week of practice, so you expect a lot of that to be part of the uh, part of the day to day ordeal. You expect them to be involved to teach their way, and the coaching staff is still learning each other. So you know Dre Bly, who is an All Pro, he's got to learn what Jay Bateman wants within his defense, and uh, the you know the running and receivers coach has to learn what Longo wants in his offense. So some of that I think is also the coaches learning each other and trying to fill each other out. But you are absolutely right that what you hope is that that continues on to to manifest itself in better discipline and attention detail long term, and that remains to be seen. But yeah. you know you're not you're not you're not as, as successful as Mac has been uh, if you just you know you 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 wake up one day and go well we've been really good with the detail now for about three weeks guys don't worry about it you got it um, I don't think that's going to be happening um, and it's that day in and day out uh, commitment to it 
Uh, and I think that that's what will be interesting to see is does that message wear out at some point? Um, and I think that – I don't think it's going to, and I think that we probably have a season or two of goodwill for these coaches for that message to resonate. And I know some fans may not want to hear that, but there's this is going to be a process. But it is very good to see that now um, as opposed to um, other methods that other coaching staffs have taken before. Well, yeah, and and you want the players to be excited about a new regime. You want them to be, you know, working towards impressing a new coaching staff. Because if uh, if if they don't want to at least do that, then you probably don't have the right players on campus. But um, to to hear the leadership roles that guys like Aaron Crawford and uh, others have taken, you know, is de- definitely on the spring practice here. One or two uh, spring practices into it. You have to feel like the early returns are pretty good. And I think again, that's just goes back to his credibility. You know, you walk in the room, you talk about, uh, Vince Young and Ricky Williams as guys you coached, uh, you show them a 2006 national championship ring and people are going to listen. And I think that's probably the biggest thing. No, 100%. I mean, Brewster has a national championship ring. Um, uh, Mac has a national championship ring. I don't remember if Bly did Bly ever get one with with the Rams? Did he get a Super Bowl uh, ring? He won Bowl his ring? rookie year with the Rams. Yeah, so he has a Super Bowl ring and he's an All Pro. And realistically, I mean, I don't know. I don't think the Hall of Fame is out of his reach. Um, so the you're, NFL you're gonna, Hall of Fame? The, yeah, I don't think the NFL is quite out of his reach. Is I don't know enough about uh, his. Is he not going to do that? Fine. No, no, no. He's two time Pro Bowler though. I mean, nice career. Then he has success. I mean, you know, and yeah. and. As he continues to tout, so, you know, that's a mulligan, my bad. I didn't know that much about him in the, in the pros. I know about Carolina. But as he's mm-hmm. also touting now, you know, he never lost to an in-state school when he was North Carolina. Um, you know, he brings a winning culture that can resonate with, with guys who grew up as a Carolina fan. Um, so the coaching staff has the pedigree. Um, and now, and now that, that absolutely leads to the buy-in, uh, Especially, especially of your seniors. And that's what you, that's what you are, you're glad to see. It's not just the freshmen and the sophomores who don't know any better. It's those seniors who probably have a reason to be loyal to, to the old guys. And they're the ones saying, yo, this is different. We are, you know, we're really doing something here. Uh, and that's what's really encouraging more than anything else. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, I mean, I would say let's talk about the staff and let's uh, get into the one negative, um, kind of. Well, the, Mac Brown had one bad day in his first 100 days. Um, <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. The early report that uh, he had hired multiple-time failed defensive coordinator Greg Robinson as defensive coordinator um, inside Carolina failed to report it because they said they just didn't believe the rumor, which I don't blame them for. <laughs> um, and we wrote, I, th- I think that's probably about as much engagement as I've ever had on a post that I've written. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> That that took about six hours to go by the wayside. I, do, do you think that Brown was actually 
intending to hire Greg Robinson as defensive coordinator, or do you think he just wanted him on as a consultant where, you know, since then Brown has gone and gotten guys like Ken Browning, who is vital to recruiting North Carolina high schools in Bunning and Butch's era, and even before that. You know, Do you think he had him pegged for that role and um, maybe the messaging just got a little mixed up? I think that when you have a turnover of staff, I think sources potentially aren't as accurate as they were with previous staffs. I think relationships aren't quite there. Um, and I have to think that some of the messaging got crossed somewhere um, because that is that was just a really bizarre hire based on everything that we had heard previously and where he was trying to go. Um, you know, at one point Chiswick's name was popped out. Um, other high profile defensive coordinators were, were mentioned. So that whole thing was weird. What I will say though is that Matt Brown works very well with people who know him. He's very big on relationships. And so he probably wanted to bring people in or he has brought people in that have worked with him before that he knows well, who know him and will give him what he wants. Um, I have to think that there was more of a messaging mix up than there was an actual hireable offer to be the defensive coordinator. Um, but if that's what happened and he backtracked, kudos for him for recognizing the, the scenery and saying, all right, we're going to put the, we're going to put the brakes on this and make a change before it gets too far. Yeah. And, and that was the thing. I mean, really from that announcement until, uh, the Jay Bateman hire, I, you know, I did a complete 180 because Bateman was number one on the list. I know, uh, you're an army guy and, uh, you, you were basically saying, Hey, just don't take my Jay Bateman. Um, <laughs> are you happy well, with just, that yet? Look, I, you, good coaches can't stay at a school like army forever. Um, and what Bateman had done has done at army was absolutely, I mean, nothing short of magnificent. Uh, when you consider, I think they won 21 games in two years and yes, army's not going to play the toughest schedule. And yes, some of that is helped by the ball control of their offense. So it keeps their defense fresh. But even, even with all of that, you don't have the success that he had for the level relative to what his competition was without doing something right. And you don't have NFL coaches making the trek to West Point, New York to talk to you about your schemes. Um, and so he is doing something I think that is going to really, it's going to be very successful eventually. I think it's going to take a year or two to kind of take because the scheme can be kind of complex and he's got to get his players into it because it, 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 it requires cerebral secondary players. Um, but I am extremely happy that he is in North Carolina because you need to be a little bit different there. And I think he has what, what, what's going to take to kind of to, 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 to turn that, turn that culture around defensively. My, my concern is they're not going to be able to hold on to him long enough. Uh, that, that, that's kind of where I am too is, I mean, if he does succeed right out the gate, he is probably a G5 head coach next year. Well, he, he has the, yeah, he has the pedigree. I mean, it, he's been coaching for a while at this point. He's done the lower levels. He's done at this point, he'll have the P5. If he can come in and he has a good first year or two, you know, can North Carolina keep him? And that, that sounds insane to think about right now, considering where the program is. But I think that is a very real question that, that we, that, that we as fans need to think about of what do we do if, if, if we lose Jay Bateman after the first year or two? I don't, I don't think that's unrealistic. And I, I think realistically, you definitely get at least two years out of him, you know, just with Brown being the type of guy he is and, you know, hearing the back channel discussions with 
you know, about a Cliff Kingsbury or a Graham Harrell who was going to go back and take the North Texas job if Seth Luttrell got a job, which he will next year. Right. Um, I wonder if part of Brown's uh, philosophy in hiring was, hey, I want guys that are going to be here at least two years. You have to at least give me two years. Because that, yeah. that feels logical just from a sense that Phil Longo's losing a ton from his offense at Ole Miss. That was explosive. And, you know, Longo was going to be out of a job in a year probably because Ole Miss is facing sanctions. Uh, Matt Luke's probably not going to last too long there. Yeah. And then same thing with Bateman. I mean, Bateman has to take this logical step. Brown says, hey, here's a program that's won five games in the last two years. We know you're not going to have your personnel year one. but build with us and it, it could catapult you to bigger and better things and nod, nod, wink, wink, maybe the UNC job in three years. Yeah. I think he built this with, with, with two kinds of coaches. If you look at, if you look across the, uh, across the roster, um, he went with people that he has known for a long time who have head coach experience already and may or may not have that goal in the future, but are definitely very comfortable with where they are in their current roles. Someone like a, like a Tim Brewster. Um, and then he went for young guys who are still trying to prove themselves on the power five, on the power five level. So you have Bateman who needs to prove himself on the power five level. You have Longo who, like you said, was probably going to be out of a job and probably needs a little bit more time to show what he can actually do, um, in a stable environment. Um, you know, you have, uh, someone like Dre Bly, you bring him on, uh, to kind of teach him the ways. And then you keep someone like, like Tommy Thigpen and you elevate him to co-defensive coordinator, um, and you put him in place who, who Brown has known forever. Uh, and you kind of keep bringing him along, but he's also been in the game for a while. So he's not someone you have to necessarily, you know, you know, his loyalties are to North Carolina. You don't have to worry about him necessarily looking for the next big thing. Um, so there's a kind of a weird dichotomy there of old and old and experienced or older and experienced and then youngish or newer to coaching and a little bit more inexperienced. Um, and it's a really good mix. Uh, and I have to think that both of those coordinators minus a huge offer know that they're giving two to four years at North Carolina to give some stability. Uh, and I have to think that was part of the conversation that Mac Brown had with them. Um, unless some unbelievable offer comes up. Yeah. And, you know, among the younger guys, what I noticed too is that, you know, by he's a UNC alum. Um, it's his first job. He's not going anywhere unless, you know, somebody offers him defensive coordinator or something uh at a very good job which is probably not going to happen in the next three years um right tommy thigpen unc alumnus uh lonnie galloway receivers coach he is from the state of north carolina he cut his teeth at app state he's been at louisville but probably not going anywhere anytime soon and you mix that with you know more veteran ace recruiters like tommy thigpen who like we said unc guy uh tim brewster said he would only leave Florida State, then Texas A&M, or I guess leave Jimbo Fisher for UNC, which, right. you know, we're, we, we're, we're poaching ace recruiters from national programs at that point. Um, right. You just have, I mean, and then, you know, guys who, I, I don't really want to call it like the replacements or something, but maybe a little bit down on their luck. You know, Stacey Searles was just fired from Miami. Um, Longo was very successful, but like I said, I mean, he was on a short leash just because his coaching, his head coach was. And then an up and comer yep. like Bateman, I mean, it's just an impressive staff. And like we, like I said in the intro, I mean, the biggest part of this was going to be 
put together a compelling staff that can recruit and coach. And the mix of it is absolutely fantastic. I mean, outside of Tim Cross, I had heard of every one of these coaches. And Tim Cross, I mean, if he did, if he didn't fire you up from that uh, staff intro, then I, I, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. Yeah, I, I think this goes back to kind of the the quote unquote CEO role that we're talking about, and I think that hiring a staff like this is what has allowed Mac to do everything we've already talked about. And what I kind of touch on in the article in his hundred days is he doesn't have to worry about. He's Mac Brown. He is going to be involved in the day to day operations, but not everything necessarily. Is going to have to be run by him. He he knows his staff well enough, and he's familiar enough with a, with with enough of them that he can trust them to carry out his intent and to carry out his vision. And they're going to represent the school in the right way. Um, and a lot of their track records speak for themselves. So because of who he has hired, it frees him up to work on the program building piece of it, and not just the football piece. And in today's world, that is a very important distinction because a lot of schools hire a football specialist, an X and O specialist, you know, a Mike Leach, um, Larry Fedora before he came on board, um, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, you know, I mean, you, you name it. And, and these people who are known to be tactical wizards, um, but a lot of times they struggle in other facets of, of the game. Leach doesn't really count in that, but he's just an example of someone who's a tactical wizard on one side of the ball. Well, um, and, and he's also unhirable for a lot of programs. Um, so I mean, yeah, well, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, with with his methods and and his his personality make him, you know, it, it keeps him on the lower P five scale. But that's a different that's a different conversation. But the point being, Mac has hired a staff that allows him to work on the other aspects of a program, um, and that is that is very very key. It really is. And, you know, Mac Brown is not the tactical genius behind this, but, you know, basically what, I mean, he is in a way because he is allowing his coaches to do that aspect of it. And, you know, kind of the way I look at it is he lets things run past him, but not necessarily run through him. You know, he, he, he trusts his Ooh, coaches. I like that. He trusts his coaches to uh, implement a game plan to coach the players up to the level they want or they need to be coached up. but. You know, he, he's not going to delegate that authority or, well, he, he, he's not going to direct that authority. He's going to delegate that authority is, is kind of the way I've been looking at it. And through that prism, I mean, it's awesome. I think that's a really good way to look at it. And we also have to be careful. I mean, look, the guy's been very successful. He knows football. He knows X's and O's. Yeah. I think a lot of times these guys who are, you know, take a dab with Sweeney, for example, and people think that he's not the brains behind the operation. Well, before, before they played, I believe it was Ohio State a couple years ago, the story goes he walked into his, into his coach's offices and said, Hey, I've been watching this game now for a couple hours. I don't see how they're going to score on us. And I think, I think Ohio State like scored like three or six points on them or whatever. It was some sort of, some sort of butt whooping they put on them. I mean, these guys know what they're watching. They just don't feel as though they have to be, um, constantly calling the plays or constantly involved with the situation on the field. And with Mac, you know, for, for those who, who remember in the mid nineties, he went to Carl Torbush and he said, look, you got to get more aggressive with your defense or he, you're not going to be here much longer. And he forced Torbush to, to change some, some things on defense, become more aggressive. And that's when they really took off, uh, in the mid to late nineties. So he knows what he's looking at. He just does not feel the need to get involved on a daily basis. And I think that will help him see the strategic value 
of what's going on around him. And I think that's something the previous staff struggled with. And 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 I'm 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 sorry I just got distracted and I'm laughing at uh, one of our Apple podcast reviews. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> basically, you know, you're 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 absolutely right. I'm sorry about that. Um, but you know, none of these guys are idiots. I mean, Brown came in after five years, basically in the ESPN booth, and said the best offense I saw was Oklahoma's. It's a power run concept with. An air, with an air raid passing game, we're going to run that and I'm going to find a coach that matches that. And, you know, he has not forgotten enough football to know that you compare that with Jay Bateman's, Jay Bateman's scheme because Bateman can play more than 15 players at UNC where maybe he couldn't at Army. And, you know, that, that might test yeah, itself this right. year. <laughs> well, it makes it, I would argue makes him the perfect coach for this year then, right? I mean, He's gonna, he's gonna have to work with, with some limited depth. But no, you're absolutely right, man. I mean, at, at, at this point, um, you know, we're not talking about a coach who's gonna bring out the power eye and, and long for the days of yesteryear. You know, I mean, he's going to adapt and he's, and he knows, he knows enough of his shortcomings to know that he needs to put people in those positions who have evolved with the game and can, and can help that. Um, and he wants to put up points. You know, I think it sounds weird, but I think the five year, the five year break, um, probably, probably is going to help him be a better coach if you're looking for reasons to be optimistic. And the other thing is, and he has said this before, he didn't retire. Um, and just because he didn't take a job doesn't mean others didn't reach out to him or offer him. He just didn't feel the need. Um, and I think anyone is a little bit of a fool if they think that for, that for five years, nobody put out a call to a former national, uh, champion who still won eight plus games in his final three years at a power five conference. You know, I mean, there were feelers that were put out and you're fooling yourself. If you think that he just went off on television, everyone said goodbye, good riddance. That didn't happen. Um, he was very particular about what he was looking for and what he wanted to do. I wonder if him leaving uh, Adam Amin in the booth during the third quarter of a game, because he had to get to a game the next day. Um, he had to get to the airport from Provo, Utah. I wonder if that had any effect uh, on that perception, but I mean, you're, you're absolutely right, but I think what, what it comes down to is he's just so genial. He's just such a likable guy that, you know, people just kind of assume he's an idiot. <laughs> that made me laugh way harder than it should have. But, um, yeah, there, there might be something to that. And, you know, and, and part of my perception is covered by the fact that I lived in Texas on two different times growing up when he was down there as the coach. And so I saw this up close early in his tenure. Um, and Texas is a very weird job anyway. And there was a lot going on at the end of his time there. And I think people looked at it and go, well, he was underperforming. And he probably was. Uh, he also coached at a time when Bob Stoops, I don't think we could quite have an appreciation for how good Bob Stoops really was at Oklahoma just because he struggled to win more national championships. But those were two powerhouse programs going back and forth year after year. And he just, he struggled against his rival. You know, I think multiple people can, can relate with that. Well, I mean, um, and I, so I think we undersell just how good Stoops was and how good Matt Brown really was in his time there. And both programs were going to BCS bowls every year and winning 10 or 11 games. I mean, the, the, the problem with, uh, Brown is kind of similar to what Matt or Mark Rick did at Georgia where, 
you know, you win 10 or 11 consistently enough, and then all of a sudden eight or nine looks like a downward trend and not an aberration. And I'm, I'm not going to say it wasn't right. a downward trend for uh, Brown at Texas, but, you know, there there are programs, including the one that we're discussing, that would love to have eight or nine wins for three straight years. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, he, Mac's not going to come to Carolina and, and go four and eight, four and eight, four and eight. I mean, he, he's not going to do that. Um, he may not win 10 games every year, but he's going to get us back. He's going to get the school back to where, where it wants to be on national level. And anything over that is gravy. Um, and he is going to, and if, if the first 100 days are any, are any indicator, um, we're going to be in for a wild, wild ride over the next three to five years. Absolutely, man. Um, is there anything else we didn't really touch on from your piece? Uh, just behind, you know, a little inside baseball here. We are recording this while I assume kind of keeping an eye on the UNC-BC basketball game. Um, it's not much of anything uh, worth watching. It doesn't appear. Carolina's up by 23 at half. Um, are we missing anything on the Mac Brown first 100 days that uh, maybe we didn't get into? Because, like I said, it's 99% positive reviews. Um, oh, you know, the one thing we, we didn't talk about was the way that they have expanded their social media presence. Yes. Um, and look, I mean, different staffs do different things and you don't have to use social media. You don't have to use slick video production. Plenty of coaches don't, but this staff has made that a priority and it brings an excitement because it's new to the fan base. And it's a lot of fun, um, to watch, to watch the staff interact on Twitter. Uh, and to watch the amount of videos that are put out on a regular basis. Um, whether it was, whether it was the introductory videos to get to know the staff, whether it's behind the scenes videos, whether it's Mac Brown breaking down every single recruit, uh, in a mini film session on signing day, uh, they are opening up the access to the program in ways that North Carolina fans are not used to. Uh, and that also leads to the excitement because the fan base wanted two things. They wanted they wanted a reason to engage with the program and they wanted to be engaged by the program. Yes. And, um, that has been missing for that excitement the past couple of years. And this coaching staff has nailed both of those, um, both of those desires of the fan base, uh, uh beyond any, any wildest imagination anyone could have dreamed of. Um, and that has been really good to see to not only they're welcoming former players, not only not only are they building relationships on the school and the high school coaches, but they are repairing that uh that relationship with the fan base. Uh and that's gonna go a long, long way and helps build that excitement heading into next season. And it makes it more fun to be a fan. You know, uh the, unfortunately the only game I got to this past year was the NC State game and that probably speaks a lot of it because I did not miss a home game from 1998 until 2012. Um, Jeez. Yeah. Uh, saw some dark times, man. Been through some shit. <laughs> um, that, yeah, that's, some, that's some dedication during those years. Yeah. Yeah. The early bunning years were not so, uh, not so good, but luckily I was young enough to where it didn't really matter. Um, but just <laughs> getting you excited and, you know, Seeing Errol Hood, who I vaguely remember from his time at UNC, you know, another random uh, guy Mac Brown took a picture with. Um, see, seeing videos that are actually well produced, and they did hire a new uh, video editor for or director of social media for this job specifically. 
You know, I mean, oh, you're right. You're, you're right. You're right. You're right. They, they are keep, and, and what they're doing, Jake, is they're keeping UNC football in the news cycle here in ACC basketball season. And that's something that, uh, I have not seen a coach be able to do, you know, in, in the social media era. That's a really good point. And, and I pointed out in, in the article that if, you know, if you go on YouTube and you go to the Carolina Athletics, um, video YouTube page or whatever, um, they have playlists and they, they break it down and some of them, they break it down by year and by sport. And so like the 2018 football playlist has like 68 videos from last season. The 2019 playlist already has 40 and we're just in March and have not even gotten to a single game. So they are, I mean, they have made this a priority to push this out over multiple mediums. Um, and so that's an excellent point that, I mean, they, to hiring, hiring that guy specifically for that role shows the emphasis they have to, to spread the word and stay relevant and stay in a news cycle, which is really hard to do, especially when you've only won five games in the past two years. Well, I, I know at tarheelblog.com, uh, we are definitely appreciating the boost we've gotten on our football posts. Um, as a guy who posts about 90% about football, I definitely appreciate it. <laughs> you've been doing hero's work the past couple of years. You're finally going to get your breakthrough this year, man. Ah, man, we'll, we'll see if, we'll see about all that. I'm going to have to just, uh, write a few more, uh, Coach K hate pieces to keep my numbers inflated. <laughs> Jake, uh, obviously this whole art, this whole podcast has been a plug for the first 100 days of Mac Brown article that will hit just before this podcast hits, actually. Um, what else do you have coming to the site this week and, um, where can the people find you? Uh, well, this week, because, uh, it is the Duke Carolina game, I'll have the three things to watch, uh, before that game. I think that's going to come out on Thursday afternoon, maybe. Um, and then, uh, I think I'm going to handle the weekly recruiting update on, you know, with a big weekend, a lot of recruits coming in this weekend. So I'm going to handle that, but uh, everyone can find me on Twitter, the realist RJL. Of course, if you just go to Tar Hill blog and click on my articles, uh, the Twitter handle is on the top of the page and they can find me there as well. There we go. And, uh, yeah, the, the football recruiting is definitely going to be a nice little, uh, under, under, undercard for the, uh, UNC Duke game this week. I'm hoping that we're going to be back next week to talk about, uh, six or seven new commits. I like your optimism. Uh, I like your optimism. I definitely think you're going to come out of this weekend with a couple. Um, there's a, there's been a few that have been rumbling for the last month or so. Uh, but if they can come out and pretty much nail down a third of the recruiting class after this weekend, even better. I will not complain. Absolutely. And, you know, gives us content to talk about in the off season. And, you know, maybe by the summer we can start getting into, uh, breaking down schemes, which as it turns out are really hard to, really hard to describe via podcast. So maybe we'll have to jump to YouTube for that one or something. But, um, <laughs> my name is Chad Floyd. You can find me at Chad underscore Floyd on the Twitters. Um, this is all I've got to plug this week because it has been hella busy for me. But uh before we go, we have one new five-star review on the Tar Heel Blog podcast from SH exclamation point T bags on February 25th, 2019. I don't know what this means, Jake, but only downside is not a lot of Greg Odin talk. <laughs> huh. Well, uh, maybe we can just reach out to Greg Oden and have him on as a guest and, I don't know, talk to him about other stuff. That's, we'll, we'll work on that. We can talk to him about that, the, uh, that. 
the December 2006 uh, Ohio State UNC game in Chapel Hill. Um, that was a Ooh, thing. Ooh, good call. That yeah. was a thing. That's a good one. Ask him. Ask him if that was the best uh, college crowd he played against, and he did play in the national championship game against Florida that year. But um, I feel like yes. if if I know who, uh, well, with that exclamation point, it appears that would be shitbags. Um, I think I know what shitbags is going for there because I think I know who shitbags might be. But um, <laughs> oh, that's, it's good. It's good to have family and friends listen to us and and, and leave us fun notes. Hey, you've got to start with your sphere of influence and build from there. One one person at a time. The Mac Brown method. One coach at a time. Build build from the inside out. 